Hey friends, welcome to the Axiom Church Podcast. We're so glad you decided to join us and check out our episode. Um, this is a space where we post our, our Sunday sermons and occasionally we have discussions and conversations regarding life in this community and following Jesus. So thank you for listening and please engage us on our website axiomchurchaz.com or on any of our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. Other things that happen, we'll get into it a little bit with Nephilim and some other things like that. But 23 years later, when I was 23, 24, I found myself at um, Shout House at Westgate. Um, if you guys, anybody ever go there or remember that, and everybody knows what Westgate is. And I'm having a beer upstairs with my buddy, Larry Castroventri, and he says to me this very thing, and he's like, we're talking about about God, and he's like, look, man, I just can't get behind a God that would kill everybody, that would allow a flood to come and ruin the whole world. And my answers and responses for him back then, at the age that I was, at 23, were a little more aligned with what I would call like apologetics. I was thinking more about just proving that, hey, no, this did happen, and it's just something we kind of have to deal with, and I don't really have the answers for it. But I remember even looking up in that age frame like, and figuring out that the highest mountain on earth was Mount Everest, and it would take some 360 inches of rain per hour for 40 hours, uh, you know, for, for 24 hours a day, 40 days straight, just to cover the entire world and the earth. And, and where is the ark? Has anybody ever gone down these kind of like offshoots or rabbit holes where they're looking up? all the little different meetings and things. And, and look, I mean, some of us might even think we know where the ark is. I remember at one point there was like a photo of a boat uh, lodged in ice somewhere. Has anybody seen that? Or is this just me? I mean, I might have been in my own world. I don't know. Uh, I'm hoping and trusting that you guys have resonated in these ways um, with it. But again, felt boards, quackers, apologetics. Uh, they didn't do the trick for Larry and uh, really still don't really do the trick for me even now. Larry's problem and my problem and it's a real problem, is that there's just some harsh reality to the story. It just is. And I do want to get into it, and we'll get into it a little bit, but I want to set that aside and just say, hey, we're going to continue to talk about that in conversation. And for now, what I think is more important for this story is that we focus on um, where we can see Jesus in the story. And so I just wanted to like name it and put it over there and then kind of move forward with uh, the idea of Jesus. And so Here's what I'll say, and if you're a note taker, you can write this down, but how we read the Bible is just as important as if we read the Bible. How we read the Bible is just as important as if we read the Bible. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus, the apostles, um, the church fathers, the early writers, they all look back through scripture, Scripture and begin to notice Jesus in it. And at the time of when the story of Noah was written, uh, Moses didn't really have that full, complete picture yet. He didn't have the full revelation of God. But in the New Testament, something else happens. We start to see a fuller picture. And so as Christians, it's really important that we see Jesus throughout all of Scripture. In fact, we would even say that the Bible is in a whole, a signpost pointing to Jesus all the way through. We don't go from Genesis all the way to Malachi, which is like when you open the book, it's like, all of this. And then in Matthew, wow, I actually opened up to Malachi. How weird is that? Um, And then all of this, 
And then Matthew, insert Jesus. That's not the right way to do it. In fact, we actually say from Genesis all the way through Revelation, we see Jesus in everything, and we see it as a signpost post to Jesus. And now, as, a fully, as having a fuller revelation, we have a better picture and a better insight um, to the whole picture. Lost my notes here. Uh, John 5, 39. Jesus does this himself. He says to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures dil- diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Yet these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus we see in the Old Testament in creation. We see him in Adam. In fact, Jesus is the new Adam. He's the recapitulation of Adam. He's the new, where Adam brought sin to the world through a tree. Jesus hung on a tree and brought life to the world. We see a whole reenactment there in, in, in the story of, of Genesis and the story of or creation of Adam. Uh, we see him, and we also see him in Noah. But before we get to Noah, and, and I want to point this out, and that's where we'll land, we have to go a little bit before Noah. And so if you could go to, and you guys, if you have your Bibles, feel free to go there also. Genesis chapter 4, verse 23 through 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zilah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. And this is, I want to point out just kind of the state of the world prior to what was happening with the story of Noah. Lamech said to his wives, Adam and Zilah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times, or sevenfold 70 in some translations, or 70 times seven. I want to read that one more time. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, Lamech 77 times. Wow. That is some pure evil, right? I mean, that's like some serious stuff. And, and we can't even help but think about just the conflict that's happening in our world, the violence that's happening in our world, even in Israel, in Gaza, Palestine, Israel. You guys are all aware. Um, this is the state of the world back then. And Lamech was... Um, there's actually two Lamechs in Genesis. Lamech is Noah's dad, not this Lamech. Lamech this is the Lamech that precedes uh, him. Very, very violent, violent world. Cain, you guys can remember, uh, there was a mark on him. Uh, it was sevenfold for him. Lamech, 70 times seven. Um, and, I'll just, and I just want to throw myself in here, too, that even today, I think we all can still struggle with violence and anger in our own hearts. And I'll tell a quick story um, that doesn't look great for me, but it's just honesty. I have this thing in my house where uh, I don't know how it happens, but every time I go to take a shower, which is about once a month, um, <laughs> I only take a shower once or twice a month. I don't shower that much, okay? But I'm kidding, by the, by the way, guys. But I, but I shower at least less than everybody else. And by the time I get in there, and so I use the least amount of this, there's never conditioner what is the deal with conditioner? Does anybody else have this problem? Like, there's never conditioner in my bathroom, no matter, okay, thank you. One person raised their hand. I'm so glad. And I get so frustrated to the point where it's happened four, five, six times. I don't know if my kids are taking it or what's going on. I'm so upset. And I wasn't feeling very good a week ago, and my body hurt, and I was like, oh, I'm going to take a shower. I've just been laying in bed for three days. I stink. I don't feel good. I'm gross. And I get in there, and I'm, I have the whole house to myself. 
and I, I get the, I'm in my, my birthday suit, and I get into the shower, and I turn it on, and I'm, I'm just fully wet with the hot water, and it feels so good. And, uh, and I look around, and I'm like, where the crap is the conditioner, right? I got so mad, guys, that I got out of the shower. I walked out of the shower, wet, just dripping through the tile, through the whole house. I'm looking around. I'm looking in the closet. I'm by myself. I can't find the conditioner. There's no conditioner in the house anywhere. I call my wife. I'm dripping wet. And I'm like, honey, uh, you might need to pause for a second. And I know this is going to sound outrageous. But where's the dang conditioner, OK? I'm naked. I'm, on, I'm, I'm in the shower right now, and I can't find it. Inside, and she obviously she couldn't believe like, that I was calling her about that. Inside all of us is the ability to just get extremely angry and upset over little things. That's my thing, okay, it's conditioner. For you guys, maybe it's road rage. Anybody found a little sense of like, anger in there? Okay, Michael Denson, the, the quietest, most gentle man I've ever met. Uh, don't, don't run into him on the road. You become into, you just something takes over you. For Cain, for Cain, I think God said something about how there's something creeping at your door or crouching at your door, and you have to be careful and tame it, otherwise it's going to take over you. And we all know the story that Cain killed Abel, which turned into murder, which, uh, which unleashed kind of a world of violence. Okay, I, I way took too long on the story of conditioners, so sorry about that. Leviticus chapter 24, 19 through 20. Um, so we have this violent, violent state in the world, and then... Uh, Moving forward to Moses now, we actually see a little bit of progress in context. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. And then the next slide. And then we move all the way to the new Moses, to Jesus. You've heard that it was said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So on one hand, it's 70 times 7. If anybody even wounds me, I'm going to kill them. It's the state of the world. And God's having to work with the state of the world where that is. And in fact, if you look at Near East ancient cultures, their gods were very violent gods. And they even have remnants of flood stories themselves that mimic where one god just got annoyed when it woke up and it decided to wipe out the whole earth. And their story of how the flood came was that that's how their god did it. So you have this very, very angry, wrong world. And on top of that, we also read in the scriptures at the beginning of chapter 6 in Genesis, a very strange bit about the sons of God came down and made their way. They were, they were here to help us, but actually made their way with the women on the earth and decided to have sex with the women and bear children. And these were the Nephilim. Um, and these were strong, giant warriors, and it's this really bizarre story. But we see this kind of state of a world where they existed, and they were very powerful, and they threatened even the, the race of, of people. Um, that, and so all this is going on at the time of Noah, extremely uh, violent world. And as Christians, we don't get to choose when dealt, dealing with violence, which is really, if we're thinking about animals two by two, and and oceans, and, and how, many, how much rain has to hit, we're missing the point. What we have to look at is, is, is violence is a real problem, and it threatens what God's made, which is really beautiful, uh, this beautiful creation in human life, and, and, and the animal kingdom, too. Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 22, and we'll bring it full circle here. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not 77 times, but 
70 times 7. And so we, f- we usually think of this as the passage when we think 70 times 7. But first, it was really Lamech. And so Jesus is actually doing something here. He's going back and helping us see the whole picture. Sorry, lots of scripture this morning. I hope that's okay. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 6. The Lord saw how great, and this is kind of where we are in the no story. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply, deeply troubled. Every inclination of thought was, was wicked, every single one of them. And so Noah becomes kind of this last-ditch effort where there's still someone good, there's still something good where we can salvage this thing, we can make it right somehow. And the Hebrew word is shea, and some scholar's going to punish me for this, is it's said in there, but it's, it reveals that, when, that God is, it's actually the same words used for labor pains for women, the pain they go through when they have birth, that he was so upset that it was like giving birth for God. That, that this is how much it troubled him, and, and he weeped over this. So where do we find Jesus in the Noah story? And number one I want to submit to you um, is in Noah himself. And this scripture is not going to come up uh, on the screen, but you can mark it for yourself. It's Genesis chapter 5, verse 28. When Lamech, and this is his dad, not the other Lamech, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. And he named him Noah. And the notation there is that Noah actually sounds like the Hebrew word for comfort or for rest. And he goes on to say, and he will comfort us. And other translations say, and he will give us rest. Well, if we look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, what do we see? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we see Jesus in Noah's story in his name. Second, we see Jesus in Noah's story in the flood. If we go to 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 20 through 21. To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the, remo- the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Peter sees at the very beginning... Uh, The flood is a prophecy of baptism into Christ. Again, going back and looking through Scripture with the lens of Jesus. And then number three, we see... Number three, we see uh, Jesus, the obvious one. Anybody want to guess it? In the ark. In the ark. Uh, Oh, I said that as if she she knew what slide to bring up. I'm sorry. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Similar to the ark, uh, Noah's family goes onto the ark in a part of an old creation in a violent way in a world where things operated in one light and then come out uh, to a new world of new possibility and new creation. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And then lastly, and I'll end it on this note too, and, and actually uh, the band, if they're around still, they can come back up because we're almost done. If I could go back and talk to uh, Larry again, I think as we think about this story, I think that I would tell him that Jesus' heart was deeply, deeply troubled by the way that the world was and that I didn't have and he didn't have, we didn't have all of, you know, I don't have the right answers, answers for you. That Noah was Jesus' last ditch, ditch effort to save us and that the violence of the day was so bad that maybe that was his last hope was, was with Noah. So, as the animals and Noah's family entered the side of the ark and found salvation there, my brother uh, earlier this week, uh, after I'd found some references that kind of pointed back to this, pointed this one out to me, so I want to give him credit here. That similarly, uh, other theologians and scholars have pointed out that a Roman soldier's spear entered the side of Jesus' ribs, and it was there that salvation is found for us. And so I say all this to say that Noah's Ark is a really cool story about um, finding new creation and a new covenant and a new promise and a new way of life forward. But it really deals with the possibility of violence and what can come of that. And as Christians, we don't get to choose a retributive sort of justice, the eye for an eye, the, the, the Moses, there's a, there's a new Moses kind of telling of it all. And that's that we actually have to forgive 70 times seven and we have to let go. And that uh, if you have anger in you, wherever it might be, we have to take that to the cross completely. We have to go through the journey. We have to put it on the boat, if you will, and come out the other side and see new creation in all the things that we come in contact with. So Michael, you can't flip people off on the road anymore when uh, they cut you off. And, and the next time I see conditioner um, or I don't see conditioner, I can't freak out on the inside. Um, I have to choose forgiveness. And so I'm sorry, Bree, wherever you are. Um, so Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your story and all your wonderful stories that color our, our minds as children. And uh, we love you. We don't understand it all. We don't have a perfect answer for it all, but um, we know, God, that you chose a radical new way of love and forgiveness and peace. And we see that and know that as Christians, as Christ followers, that we have to confront our anger and our violence and we have to seek peace and seek the rainbow, the new covenant, the new hope.